Hello, my name is Mark Gibson, and you're listening to the podcast version of the Chagask Signpost series, a weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Good morning, and you're very welcome to this morning's Signpost webinar. My name is Pat Murphy, Head of Environment Knowledge Transfer with, with Chagask. Slurry is one of the key challenges that, that our farmers face in, uh, from an environmental perspective. And slurry is implicated in a number of, of environmental challenges, uh, including losses of nitrogen to water, losses of phosphorus to, to water, losses of ammonia to air, and loss of methane and nitrous oxide, which are, are two of the agricultural greenhouse gases. So it is extremely important that we get the management of, of it right to maximize uh, uh, the agricultural benefit and to minimize those, those uh, uh, losses to the environment. This morning, I'm delighted to be joined by Noel Meehan. Noel is program manager with the, the ASAP program. Noel, you're very welcome. Thanks, Pat. Thank you. And we're also joined to help with the questions by Owen O'Brien. Owen is ASAP advisor in Wicklow, Wexford, Carlo. Owen, you're, or sorry, Noel, your topic this morning uh, is uh, slurry, maximizing agricultural benefit and minimizing environmental loss. A key challenge for you and all of the ASAP advisors and signpost advisors as well, because it's it's not just about water quality. Yeah, it's, look, at, I suppose um, slurry, you know, it's, it's well documented that, that it's very beneficial uh, resource and source of nutrients on, on farms. And uh, I suppose this time of the year is probably, you know, the main slurry spreading season. And I think it's just timely maybe to talk about the benefits and talk about uh, what it can bring to your farm and, and how you would do that with, with maximizing and, and making sure that it's, it's used the best that you can. But at the same time, you know, we just need to be aware that it can have an impact uh, on water quality and, and obviously on gaseous emissions and, and also on biodiversity as well. So, you know, that's, I suppose, what, what kind of prompted the, the presentation today that, you know, there was that kind of a... a a lot of people were, were making phone calls into ASAP and into the advisors asking about uh, how how do we go about this. So look, we have we have a presentation here that will hopefully help um, on a few things. Some of it people will know, some of it might be new to them, you know. So we'll take it. Okay. So if you're when you're ready, if you yeah. want to go ahead, I'd remind people that we have the uh, Q and A. So if you want uh, to uh put questions to Noel uh you can you, will you please use the, the Q&A and we'll uh, uh, we'll ask them after the presentation okay so look as I was saying there um uh the you know you slurry is a key resource on farms and we just need to try and use it as best we can to, to minimize the impacts and um you know we, we've as I was saying we, we've had a lot of contact from you know farmers and from um media outlets and, and, and people looking for information around uh, slurry. So look, that's where, where the idea came for doing this presentation today. So I just want to acknowledge at the, out, at the outset, um, Eddie Burgess, Mark Plunkett, David Wall, Pat Murphy, Catherine Keena, who, who helped put the presentation together. Uh, so the outline, we're just going to look at the slurry composition and the value of it. Um, optimal use of slurry. How it sits in with the gap, the gap regulations, I suppose, just just the, the slurry requirements and why they're why they're there, and uh, what we can do to minimise environmental losses, and just finish up with a summary. So, um, this is probably one slide that people have seen quite regularly, but it, it's it's just out, outlining the value or the 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 makeup 
of a thousand gallons of slurry. So and at the different dry matter dry matter percentage rates. And the typical dry matter percentage is is six. Um and that would equate to you know units per thousand gallons of a nine five uh thirty-two for NP and K. And you know, if that's if you're you manage to put that into a bag of fertilizer. So it's quite a it's quite a, a rich source of nutrient uh out there. And to put a value on that then or put a value on that, you know, you're looking at twenty-nine euro for that thousand gallons at six percent dry matter. Um I've also put in soil water there because soil water is is a is a big uh, a big source of, of nutrients as well and can and can have quite large volumes of, of soil water on farms and the value there for it is is four point seven five so again it has nutrient it's 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 not just water uh, it does have a nutrient content and you know it needs to be it needs to be treated as such that there is nutrient in soil water when we use it. And that it needs to be used as carefully as you as you'd use uh, slurry, and the value for uh, for that is is six euro eighty for a thousand gallons. But I suppose you know maybe to people who say well my slurry is thicker or my slurry is 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 thinner. Um, there is a way of doing that, and that's uh of testing which what your dry matter percentage is, and that is uh, using a slurry hydrometer. And there's a picture here on, on the right hand side. Now I've used one of these myself, and they're made of glass, so they're probably not the most user friendly in the world. But, you know, at the time of agitating, you can if you could take a, a sample out and, and drop it in, it will tell you what the dry matter percentage is on your on your slurry. And then based on that, you know, there's tables there and, and your advisor can help you with this. You know, you can adjust the rate up or down if you need a certain amount of nitrogen or phosphorus or, or, or potassium out on a, on, a, on a field. You can adjust that rate depending on, on the dry matter percentage of it. So you're just maybe um, maybe uh, you know recalibrating and, and making sure that you get the most out of your slurry. So um, it is a, it is there are there and they can be got. And if you contact your local advisor, they'd be able to tell you where to get one. Uh, but they are made of glass and 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 uh, can break quite easily. So just uh, be aware of that. But again, I think it's it's important that people get a better handle on what their slurry is because it changes from year to year. Depends on which. Um, water needs to come in to, to help agitate the tank and so on that might be might be the problem so but i think that's that's the first thing that we'd look at uh, and again just to just to reiterate the point that it is quite valuable 29 euro a thousand gallons is is uh, is is uh, quite valuable so then you know when and how to maximize your story and and again this may be familiar to people but we have a range of scenarios here across summer and spring spring and summer and across the, the different application rates, so splash plate, dribble bar, training shoe, and injection. And I suppose it's, it's no surprise to the listeners there that um, we have a range of, of uh, availability of nitrogen across summer and spring, particularly with the splash plate. Uh, you have a three unit difference there, six units to three units if you use it in spring. But I suppose uh, when you look at the technology that's available, you can see that um, using a trailing shoe in springtime is a, a nine unit uh, of in per, per thousand gallons of what you're get, getting there. So I think the message is, is that using a splash plate and using it in the summertime, you're, you're losing a lot of your, your, your nutrient via um, volatilization. And, um, you know, that's money that's literally going up in the air on you. And it's, it's obviously ammonia as well, which is, which is a problem in gas. Uh, so, you know, the, the technology is well tried, well tested, and I suppose it's been rolled out more and more comprehensively by legislation. 
with with the with the cohorts of farmers that are required, that are going to be mandatorily required to use it. And you know, it is a, a six unit gain uh, by using uh, slurry in the spring with a trailing shoe versus slurry in the summer off a splash plate. Um, it does help to reduce ammonia loss, so up to sixty percent reduction uh, in, uh, in in as as ammonia loss the atmosphere using less. So that's that's a quite significant um, reduction, and it is one of the main pillars of, of how we reduce our, our ammonia losses to uh, to the atmosphere from the agricultural sector. Um, and I suppose the other win out of this is is because you're using more, you're utilizing more of the nitrogen fraction. Um, you get more value of your slurry, and then the, the knock-on effect is is that if you have more nitrogen from the slurry, you can probably you should be able to lower your chemical in requirements on the back of that. Um, this is a, a there's a lot on this slide, but I think it, it's just to try and, and and highlight the fact that you know when you're when you're spreading your slurry that you need to be aware of how you maximize it and match and matching uh, applications to grass in demand. And I suppose just on the left-hand side, if we look here, we have uh, the typical grass growth curve for uh, 2020, 21, 22, 23, and the five-year average. As you can see, that it, it's pretty much, you know, it doesn't change a whole lot, uh, you know, across the years. So the range is very tight uh, on, on, on there. And, and you can you can quite clearly see in the graphic that it's, it's, it's really towards the latter half of, of March that we really get the surge in, in growth. So I suppose, what does that mean? If we look at um, January, week three so that'll be when the close period has ended and people are, are starting to go out and you know you look at maybe you, you maybe around fifteen thousand gallons per acre of a, of a slurry application which would deliver 17 kilograms of hectare per hectare of, of in an application rate how long will that how, what with the growth rates that are there and they're they're quite low you know they're only in in you know the the, the early mid mid fives six sevens that kind of thing it will take up until the end of February for, for that, give or take, that 17 kilograms of nitrogen from the 1,500 gallons to be utilised up. And that, that, that's a quite important point to make because, you know, if you have a higher application going out, 2,500, 2,000, 2,500, 3,000, you know, you have, you have a lot of nutrient coming out there with a very low growth rate and the potential for that to be lost is quite high. So I think the message that we're trying to get across here is that, um, you need to match your application rate to your, your application of slurry to the growth rate and where you you're have to go out in the early in, in late January, early February period that you need to be putting out a, a lower volume or lower rate uh, of, of slurry just 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 to make sure that you give it the best chance to be utilized up. And then, you know, when you come out later in the year in, in towards into March or early April, when when the growth rates really kick off, as you can see, you know, here the growth rates are really kicking off. That's when you can go with your heavier applications and that's when you get the most utilization of it. So I think that the message out of this is, is just be aware that the growth rates are quite low. If you do have to go in this time of the year that you, you build a low, a light application and then uh, once the growth rate hits off, you can you can go with your heavier application. So uh, I just for a minute going to talk about a little bit of research that came in from uh, the ACP and it's comparing organic P versus chemical P uh, and, you know, how it's it, and its susceptibility to loss via via water. And um, it's, it's just a bit of research from Chagas Agricultural Catchments Programme. 
we had five treatments, uh, chemical pee, cattle slurry, pig slurry, hen manure, and a control, which we got, which got no um, fertilizer. And, and it was on four different types of soil. And it was analyzed for Morgan's pea and for extractable pea, uh, water extractable pea. Uh, so that's, I suppose, mo mobile pea or, or, or plant available pea. And uh, it was an analysis of 70 days and uh, with different responses across different organic manures were recorded. And the, I suppose the, the riskiness and uptake depends on the soil type and the soil pea level before application. So I'll just get into a little bit of detail on that now. So what we have here is four soils with initial with a low initial soil P test to Morgan's P test, soil A, B, C, and D. And you have your, your starting point, control, chemical, and so on down across. And what we're saying here, in general, organic manures are raised the soil P by the same or more as chemical P. So what we're saying here is that on, on low indice soils and on uh, high indice soils, that by applying your chemical or your organic manures across different manures, it would have as, as a positive impact in raising the P level as chemical. So it's as, it's as effective as chemical P in providing uh, uh, the, the growing crop with phosphorus. And then, and this this one, we're looking at the water extractable P and it's the same, same set of soils and same treatments. And what we're finding here is that soils that receive chemical P have a higher loss, higher risk of P loss than, and, than organic P in both low and high scenarios. So what we're looking at here is, is that the chemical P, um, the risk of, of loss of chemical P across the different soil types is slightly higher than it is from the from the cattle, pig and poultry manure. So what we're trying to say, what we're saying here is the conclusions that organic manures are as good as chemical P and probably safer, provided they're applied at the right time and place, etc. So, you know, organic fertilizer, they're really, really, really effective at providing phosphorus. They're safer, but they're only safer and, and, and only provide that if they're used at the right time in the right place and used very, very carefully. Um, the issue, I suppose, is, is that for various reasons, the organic fertilizer may not be used optimally, and, and that's when you have the problems with it. Um, and look, at maybe, I suppose, just my own kind of thoughts on this is, is, is the chemical P, because you're going actually buying that, that there's a higher value put on it by the farmer, him or herself, you know, that, that they're much more careful with how they use it as opposed to how they use slurry. Um, but look, at it. I think that's just a, a, a nice insight into how uh, important a source of nutrients and how effective it is at providing pea. Uh, slurry is, is at providing, providing pea and that it is a safe source of pea provided that it is used in the, in the right uh, circumstances. Um, the gap regulations, I suppose, um, I get the sense uh, that, you know, the gap regulations are, are, are seen as just, you know, uh, a something that farmers have to comply with and and uh, you know there's paperwork and there's bureaucracy and and they're a nuisance really and i think that unfortunately loses sight as to why the gap regulations are there they're primarily first and foremost uh, there to protect water that's their sole fun that's their function uh, is to protect water and i just picked out a couple of um of the keys you know regulations around slurry storage so that are around slurry and that's that's the storage uh, the closed periods and the soil water storage and i suppose why are they there what, what, what's the reason behind this and um you know i, I i've spent uh, many a day many an hour um you know talking to farmers about the closed period and and the 
but farmers feel is the injustice of it and and that you know the weather is very dry during could be very dry and the ground conditions are perfect for putting out slurry and why can't we go and you come to this time of the year and you have uh, maybe less favorable ground conditions and more risky uh, um, uh, more of a better chance of, of of going out with rain and so on but I suppose the agriculture catchment program this is a, a, um, a paper that was done by Maria Shore um, have looked into this and looked into it very carefully across uh, four different catchments two grassland catchment the three grassland catchments and an arable catchment and across the, the the four catchments, um, you can see that they 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 looked at the closed periods, uh, and looked at it across 2011, 12, 2013, 2014, and recorded the the total phosphorus that left the catchment during the closed periods. And what you can see is that in the closed periods, that there's a higher, more more spikes that happen during the closed period of of uh, phosphorus leaving the catchments. Uh, you have an exception here in 2011-2012 where you had a very wet 2011-2012 and that that drove up the during the summer months but typically during the closed period you have the highest uh, level of phosphorus loss so if you that's during the closed period when farmers weren't putting out slurry on the ground so if you had added an additional loading of slurry onto that soil ground onto that ground during the closed period you'd have a, probably an additional level of phosphorus being lost. So the idea or the, the conclusion is that a disproportionately high nutrient loss occurs during the closed period. Uh, 43% of total phosphorus loss occurs during this period. And they also looked at nitrogen under the grass garden there, but they also looked at nitrogen and it was around 45% of in loss occurs in that period of the closed period. So around 25% of the year. Why does that happen? I suppose, you know, it doesn't, it, it makes... The, you know, the reasons are is that, you know, you have a higher chance of the soils being saturated. You have a lower growth rates. Uh, so you're going to have phosphorus and nutrients, nitrogen sitting on the soils, uh, not being used by the plant. And obviously we get a, a, a higher risk of, of heavy rainfall events during that period. Uh, more overland flow, more nitrogen, more leaching of water through the, moving through the water table. And that's going to move your nutrient. So if you have an, an additional loading of organic fertilizer on top of that in that period, you're only going to exacerbate the problem. So that's the reasons why the closed period is there. And it is it is very important that that we uh, uh, adhere to it and make sure that we uh, we don't add to the problem that's there because this is going to happen anyway. So we need to need to minimize the load and uh, take take actions to prevent it from happening. The other one I'm going to look at is is around the buffer margins, and then you know the one that's it's like nearly saying your pears don't spread on frozen snow covered waterlogged flooded or likely likely to flood heavy rain forecast in 48 hours, and it's kind of rhymed off like that, and nobody kind of takes any heed of it at all. Um, but they're they're very important. Um, this is this is a, a photograph that a colleague in 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 Asif took, um, where you had a, uh, a, a farmer that went to spread slurries on the 25th of January. So I suppose, you know, the first thing, the buffer margins in that stage, it should be it should be a 10 meter buffer margin uh, out from there. There's a river going along here, it should be 10 meters. Uh, and it goes back to five as we move along into the into the season. Um, now it's it's not waterlogged or snow covered, but and it's not flooded, but it is likely to flood because it's beside a river. And I don't know when the heavy rain was forecast, but on the 12th of February, this is the same field. 
So, you know, clearly um, that field was at risk um, of flooding and uh, the, the buffer margin wasn't, wasn't adhered to. It, it was, you know, it was what would be what we would call in, in as of a critical source area. And it's a field that needs to be avoided from uh, having uh, slurry uh, spread on at certain times of the year. And the rules or the, the regulations that are there, they're there for that reason, to protect those kind of areas. And, you know, they're not just there for, for, for fun. So I think it's important just to highlight that when we have these uh, requirements in the gap regulations, that they should be acknowledged as, as a protective measure for water quality and need to be adhered to. So um, it's, it's, I, I would say, and this is just an opinion of mine, um, you know, it's the minimum, the max, the requirement is, is to have your, 18, your 16 or 18 weeks or whatever it is. But I'm talking to farmers uh, out there and those that have excess slurry storage over the 16 or 18 weeks or 20 weeks, whatever it is, um, it allows them to make better decisions on when and where to use their slurry. Use their slurry. And look, at it, I fully acknowledge that a lot of people are, are, are just about able to have the minimum and the cost of it and all the rest. But, you know, um, where you do have that additional slurry storage, it gives you much more control. And, and the, the quote that I got off a farmer was that, the stress levels on on him reduced quite significantly because he wasn't uh, looking at the, the the tanks being full and knowing that the ground conditions were bad and having to go out and 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 put it in, in out in risky scenarios or risky risky conditions. So look at that's that's just a thought of mine that that where we have the benefit uh, have excess slurry storage it can be quite beneficial and it it will help certainly help you utilize that slurry much better and much more effectively. Um, I'm just going to talk about the pit maps. Um, I'm not so sure if, if our listeners are familiar, for, fully aware of them, but I think the, the pit maps are now um, available uh, on NMP online. They're also available uh, on the catchments.ie website and the EPA are hosting them, and they're they're an excellent resource. And I think what we're trying to what I'm trying to do here this morning is, is maybe uh, make our listeners aware, and particularly the advisors that are on the call aware that these are now available to you and, and that you should try and access them to help inform your decisions and your advice that you're given to farmers in relation to uh, how you use slurry and how you use your nutrient, I suppose, and areas of the farm that are risky and and adopting your advice to the farmers on the back of that. Um, I will say that these are um, a, 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 an excellent resource. They are guide. They are a guide and do need to be ground truthed. And what I mean by that is, is you know, you do need to go down in the field and make sure that they that they line up with what's going on on the ground. But by and large, they're 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 quite accurate and and they're very very useful. So you know, there may be little bits of anomalies here and there, but but not too many. Um. So just from the pip maps point of view, you can see the different colours, but uh, you have the different ranking of pip. So the pollution impact potential for nitrogen, you have the purpley colours. So uh, rank one is the highest risk for in loss and rank seven is the lowest risk for in loss. So on this farm here, you can see, you know, the, the, this northern half of the farm, the far side of the road in around the farmyard is all pip rank one and two. So very high risk for, for phosphorus or for nitrogen loss. Whereas on this part of the farm here, um, you know, it's very low, low rank. It's a rank six uh, for, for nitrogen loss. So obviously there's something going on there that you can take that information and say, I uh, wonder why, what's the reason behind that? And that's just the area photography of it. So you can see it's, it's a dairy farm. It's quite well laid out. But this lower part here alongside the river, that's the river there, uh, is pip rank six or seven. 
So we look at the phosphorus one, and the phosphorus phosphorus one is 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 on the same scale, a, a rank of one to seven, with the darker colours being the highest risk and the and the lighter colours being the lowest risk. And we can see that it's it's the complete opposite to the uh, to the nitrogen one. So the nitrogen one is is all up here, and you can notice that the, the curve there. Here you have the the phosphorus is is all high risk alongside the riverbank, and you know up here is low risk, and that's just reflective of the soil type. So obviously. This is very free draining soil. That's why your nitrogen is your risk. This is much heavier, poor draining soil. That's why your phosphorus is a risk. You can also see here this hatched area, and that's the, the soil organic matter layer. So uh, that layer is on NPN line as well. So that overlays nicely with the pit maps. And again, it's just giving you a little bit more information around what's going on in the farm and uh, you know how you might change or tweak your advice based on the back of that and we'll just throw these two maps as well into you uh, these are the overland flow and delivery point maps and uh, so as you can see these kind of squiggly areas along here um, that's where water starts to move over land they're tied in if you recall these are the these are the uh, the, the the pip p areas so the high risk uh, for phosphorus areas and they tie in usually where you find these overland flows. So again, it's a, it's a function of the water not being able to get down through the soil. It's impermeable and starts to move over the land. And you have delivery points in along the along the curvature of the, of the river. Um, so again, these will provide more information for the advisor and for the farmer as to how to make decisions around what they should do with their slurry and their nutrient at certain times of the year. That's the organic matter layers. I spoke about that already. And I suppose where we're... we're where we've gotten to now is we have the pip maps on NNPN line. So we can now use the pip maps and in conjunction with our soil maps, so our soil fertility maps, to help make better decisions. So you can see on these that you know you have a you have a phosphorus issue, you have a pH issue, and you have a K issue on the northern part of the farm. So that's all uh, high risk for in loss. And I suppose where the temptation is, is that you would compensate for poor soil fertility with increased nitrogen uh, loading to compensate for that. But where you don't have the proper pH, the proper P and the K, you know, you're not going to be, uh, you're, not, you're not at optimum soil fertility. So uh, you have a greater risk of, of uh, excess nitrogen uh, being applied to make up for that. And you have a greater chance of nitrogen leaching. So I suppose what we're coming at is now with the pit maps, we know it's risky for in loss. We also know from the soil fertility maps that it is not at optimum soil fertility. The advice needs to be changed or it needs to be put to the farmer that it's your soil fertility that you need to fix first before you go adding additional uh, nitrogen on it. And therefore, you're reducing your nitrogen uh, at risk of being leached down to the soil profile. Likewise, down here in, in, in the southern part of the farm where you have those overland flow pathways, and your and your heavier soils, you know that photograph I showed a few minutes ago. Really, you shouldn't be going anywhere with near this with slurry anywhere at all until you know later in the in the season when the weather dries up that little bit. So you'd be advising the farmer to avoid this area down here with your slurry applications because it, it is at higher risk of nutrient um, or at overland flow and nutrients being washed into the river. Um, those pip maps are available on NLP online and they're also available at catchments.ie or, or that, uh, that web, web link there. So how can we maximize slurry use, the importance of nitrogen use, nutrient use efficiencies? 
Uh, we need a re reduction in nitrogen use and nitrate losses. That's what we need to do. Um, so the right time, soil temperatures, you know, five, six degrees and rising. Soil moisture deficit. So this is what we spoke about. Is the soil at saturation point or is it at close to saturation point? And then obviously with the, with the converse where you're at drought, um, is there rainfall forecast and what's the growth rates like? And I suppose we all live in the real world a little bit, um, or I hope we do. Um, and other factors influence these. So have you sufficient storage storage? Are you able to uh, hold on until you get as the temperature is a little bit better, the soil moisture depth is a bit better, the growth rates are a bit better. The contractor availability is a big problem. The contractor will come and say, yeah, I can go and do that uh, for you uh, tomorrow. Uh, and that's it. You have to take take them or leave them. And if if you, if you leave them, you mightn't have them back for a fortnight or three weeks and you could be in big bother. So obviously the contractor plays a big part in this. And then obviously the farm workload as well. Um, you know, cabin, we're in the middle of cabin period at this stage and farmers don't have time to be maybe worrying about slurry and, and, and they just want to get it out and get that job done. So look, I suppose what I'm trying to say is, is you know, insofar as we can as, as farmers and advisors, that we try and tick as many of these boxes as we can uh, before we, we go and put the story out. Uh, but not, notwithstanding the realities of the work pressure and, and, and the circumstances farmers find themselves in. And the reason why, why we're looking at the right time is, again, this, this is just a similar slide I had earlier on. The growth rates um, you know, in the early part of the year just aren't there. It's, it's really around Paddy's Day that we get to the point where the growth rates start to take off and that you know, slurry is being utilised most effectively. The right locations, so we're looking at our dryer fields, you know, watching out for cri critical source areas, like I showed there on the pit maps, uh, PK and PH, so you want your your um, your uh, soil fertility optimal. Um, I suppose the use the use of umbilical and low pressure tires, um, and and they're becoming much more prevalent and much more popular. And I suppose um, while they're while they're you know a great advancement in technology from the point of view of, of application rates and getting sorry out quite fast and covering a lot of ground. Um, you know, I saw a quote from from a contractor in, in one of the you know media outlets that um, you know saying how great it was that the, the umbilical systems were there because it meant that they could get on ground that was that bit wetter and uh, and get the slurry out. And I suppose from a contractor point of view, he's, he's absolutely right. But I suppose I was just, you know, in my own head saying, if the ground is, is wet like that, if it's close to saturation and you're putting, you know, 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 gallons of slurry out on that, you know, and you get heavy rainfall, you have a very high risk of that slurry being lost. So while the umbilical is, is very good um, and, and is a positive technological development, we just need to we just need to be aware that wet fields are wet fields and are highly risky uh, for for nutrient loss. And if we're uh, advising or talking to a farmer uh, as advisors or if there's any farmers on, on today, you just need to be aware of that that you know the wetter the soil, the more like and if you get heavy rainfall, the more likely it is that 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 slurry is going to be lost. So you know just be aware of that. Uh, the right rate, so we spoke about matching the application rate to crop demand and, and growth rate, and then obviously early and, and late application of, of, of slurry. So, you know, very early on, as I showed you on, on a number of slides back, the growth rates aren't really there. So you just need to make sure you, you, you have a, a, a lighter or a lower application rate. And then obviously towards the end of the year, again, the growth rates are dropping um, and we need to be aware of that.
And finally, just uh, you know, making sure that we, we use as much as of the less of the low emission spreading techniques that we have, the river bar, the trading sure, or the injection, to uh, maximize our uh, utilization of in. So just on biodiversity, um, I suppose it's 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 important to acknowledge that the slurry has has a role to play in biodiversity uh, from a, from a, a negative point of view, and. You know, having spoken with Kat Catherine Keena on this, um, you know, her take on it on it was that you know, farmers need to just identify is there is there fields that they want want to keep uh, biodiverse rich, or field boundaries that they want to keep biodiverse rich, and if there are, you know, there might be in acres, and, and that will highlight them for them. Well, if they are, you just need to uh, uh, to avoid nutrient applications on these fields because what happens is is the nutrient. Um, promotes competitive species versus the wildflowers, they outcompete them and, uh, and, and uh, you know, they take over and the plants, uh, you know, suffer as a result. Um, really what you're looking for for biodiverse uh, pastures is nutrient poor soils. So, you know, really no application of, of nutrient really is what you're looking at. Uh, so sorry, certainly wouldn't be beneficial from that point of view. Um, the damage can be irreversible, you know, if, if, if we have a, an old pasture there and, and, and it starts being farmed more intensively, you, you will you will do serious damage. The other key area on farms is your field boundaries. And that's why we have the, the buffers there uh, to protect those margins, you know, be it your, your watercourse margin. But also, as you can see in the photo behind there, you know, you have a, you have a lovely field margin there. Uh, where no nutrients are getting in and it's just being let grow. And that's that's a photo from Don Sheehan uh, down the Bride Project. And, you know, it looks it looks fantastic down along with the ditch there. So it's no reason why we can't have more of these along uh, along our, our hedgerows and our, and our walls, but it just means that we need to make sure we don't have any nutrient going in there. Okay, to summarize, um, Surrey is, is a valuable source of nutrients on a farm, but... We need to optimize how they use how to uh, optimize how they use slurry to to um, utilize effectively. So we've gone through a lot of scenarios there, a lot of a lot of information around how to use them effectively. But it, it's it's too valuable of a source and it's too impactful on on uh, on on an environment not to be doing this. And uh, while you know every farmer try and tries to do their best with it, we just need to maybe have a little bit more awareness of of the potential pitfalls uh, that are out there and take actions to avoid them. Uh, we have a range of new maps and tools to assist advisors and farmers to make better decisions. Um, and I encourage people to start using those. And look at, I suppose, maybe a little bit of a, a, a request. Uh, it is urgent. You know, we, we do need a wider adoption of environmentally friendly slurry use practices to minimize impacts across water, across, across greenhouse gas, across biodiversity areas. Um, all those areas are under, under threat and under pressure in Ireland and uh, you know we just need we need you know a, a more uh, wide wider uptake across the whole of the of the farming sector to try and reverse these problems that we have so Hatch, that's that's uh that's my lot thank you very much for that you might stop sharing there okay yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, just a reminder people to, to put their questions into the, the, the Q&A. Uh, just I suppose, Noel, you, you talked about uh, the, the biodiversity issue. And, and I think one, one thing that's going to change the requirement there for a good few farmers is the move towards results-based uh, from 
uh, I suppose, an action base where they were allowed in previous schemes to put out a certain amount of, of organic nutrient on some of the, the more mm. high, highly biodiverse pastures. But what, now that we're at results-based, the reality will be, I suppose, that, that you're going to find it very difficult to keep those species if you do apply that, that nutrient. Yeah, and, and look at, I, I suppose, Catherine Keene would, would be the biodiversity and, and, and acre specialist. But it, it, look, at, if you add nutrient, um, you're given, you know, competitor species, less desirable species, um, a boost in nutrient, and they will pretty much outcompete uh, what's there. So, like, I think the, I think it's, it's very clear, you know, it's, it's one, one, one is, is counterproductive to the other. Um, and, like I, I was on a, a call, I was on a webinar yesterday about um, you know cap and about how it it can it can be a little bit um, you know the cap maybe isn't doing doing what it could it's it's more production orientated and, and so on and that the the results based system that we have in Ireland was, was brought up at it this is at a European level and it was brought up at it and how you know it's 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 key to you know, disentangling the the production from the results from from uh, f to, to get environmental outcomes. So we're fortunate that we're ahead of the game, really. I think on that in in Ireland. Um, but again, it's it's important that uh, other areas of the farm, maybe you know, there's farms that aren't in acres, that we try and just make people aware that you know, going out and 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 adding a nutrient to it, you will it will have an impact. It will have uh, a negative impact on. on biodiversity and wildflowers and so on um but look at that's for farmers to decide what they want to do ultimately but you know from a biodiversity point of view you'd be encouraging to to, to avoid those areas and maybe concentrate on other areas of the farm that could could be uh could improve the product productivity on okay there's a, a a question of two halves here what advice is available to farmers about the pros and cons uh, of spreading slurry on saturated land following a wet winter and a high winter table. I suspect it won't take you long to answer the, the pros on that anyway, whatever about the cons. Yeah, look, at, we, we, yeah, look, at, I, I think, I think we, we, we just need to raise awareness around all this. Um, we have more information now for farmers. We know on farms where the fields are that are are susceptible to being saturated and to high water table, and you know we need to make far ask farmers or make them aware to avoid those. And the thing about it is 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 where it might be trafficable now, it may not be trafficable in two weeks time or three weeks time, because the weather can change as we know in, in this country. And, and the photograph I showed a while ago can do that. Like you know, in the, in the January, the field was perfect for spreading sorry. It probably was quite dry. The soil moisture deficit was was fine. But two weeks later, field was flooded. So I think what we need to do now is use the, the, the maps that we have and, and give direction to farmers to say, listen, in this part of your farm here, um, this, this is susceptible to runoff. It's susceptible to flooding. You have another part of the farm over here that is, uh, is drier, less connected to the, to the uh, drainage network, less risky. You know, it's really there that you need to go with, with your story. If you have to go out with it, but ultimately you're trying to advise, advise the farmer to, to hold as long as he can until he gets the most favourable conditions possible. I know that's not always the case because uh, slurry storage is um, is a problem on farms. You know, even if you have the 16 weeks or the 18 weeks this year was a very early winter, 
you know, you're probably in maybe two or three weeks earlier than normal, which means you have to go to your, your full two or three, three weeks earlier than normal. So you have all those practical concerns and practical issues, but, um, you know, we do need to try and up our advice and up our understanding to the farmers around where, what parts of your farm are susceptible or at risk for, for slurry loss uh, or nutrient loss overland flow. And we have the information now. So that's what we're trying to get across this morning is, those maps are there and we need to start looking at them and using them and providing advice in the back of them. Yeah, and I think one of the things that you're 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 saying is slurry storage uh, is and is going to be in the future absolutely crucial to a, a farmer's ability to, to to manage their 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 slurry effectively. Yeah, and and you because climate is is beginning to bite, you know, you can certainly see that you have um you have more heavier, longer, wetter periods. Uh, you know, it was wet since the 1st of July until, I don't know, there's a dry sense, you know, we had a couple of dry spells, but, but you know, you had a very wet. Allegedly a drought in Moor Park on, on, uh, in January. Okay, well. Technically. Uh, technically, but, but um, you know what I'm getting at, like the, the weather is changing and that's impacting on ability for farmers to get slurry out in, in, this, in these fields. So we need to start, you know, really looking at how, how do we future-proof a little bit around climate change as well. Um, I spoke to a colleague uh, that um, has a has a slatted shed on on a bit of a hill, and for the first time in since the shed was built maybe twenty years ago, water came in over the Christmas period into this into the tanks because of the, the level of rainfall that had been happening. It never happened before uh, in the twenty years the shed was up. So those are the the warning signs that we have there, and 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 you know there's probably multiple those around the country. So we just need to start thinking long term on this and for, forward looking at, at what the risks are coming down the line from climate change and then using the information that we have to try and, and uh, make better decisions around how we utilize our slurry and our nutrients. Owen, a lot of questions coming in. Yeah, I'm just taking notes on a few of them there. Um, I suppose I'll start off with a, a few of the easier ones for you all. Um, how does using trail and chew help water quality? Well, I suppose the trailing shoe really is, is is for ammonia. It's it's to it's to uh, it's to reduce the gas that, that the ammonia emissions. You know, from a water quality point of view, trailing shoe is slurry is slurry. You still need to use it in 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 the, the fashion I described already. You need to watch where your um, soils are saturated, where they're likely to flood. You need to keep your buffer margins. So in per se, the the trailing shoe doesn't has very minimal uh, benefits for water quality, but it, it, it's slurry is slurry, whether it goes out in a splash plate or, or a trailing shoe, you just need to treat it as a nutrient that can be, or as as a as phosphorus and nitrogen, it can be leached or can be um can be washed over land flow into into, into a stream. You know, it's it's all about using it in the right conditions on, regardless of, of whether it's a dripper bar or or a splash plate. Splash plate obviously has a has a has an isn't as good for ammonia emissions whereas the dribble bars are. Yeah. Um, another one in there, I suppose, um, given the weather that we're having, advice to farmers with saturated land and full tanks. Yeah. Um, I guess the advice is, you know, you try and find your 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 driest, least connected field and you relieve the pressure. Um, get out a couple of loads that loads that maybe gives you a week or a fortnight, and you'd hope that that maybe that the ground conditions will be better in a week or fortnight's time. You know, other than that, you're you're looking at sourcing another tank and, and moving it somewhere else, something like that. Um, you know, and it's very hard to, to give advice out knowing the, the full circumstances of of this, you know, the scenario that, that the, the question is about. But 
um, you know, that's kind of what you're talking about in the short term anyway. Yeah. You know, and hopefully the weather will take up in a week or two. Hopefully the weather will take up and look at it. It is. I mean, as I said, maybe maybe I'm maybe we're not leaving the real world. Uh, but you know what I'm trying to say is is we, we we need to just be aware of the pitfalls where they are and try or try and 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 adhere to obviously the regulations, but make sure that whatever we do, whatever actions we take, um, have the the least amount of impact. Uh, on water quality or biodiversity or whatever it is and we have a lot more information out there now to help farmers with that and you know in that scenario it's it's really you know relieve the pressure uh, get to your driest fields put it out for as light as you can and then you know in, i suppose you keep know, we'll what you need for when the weather yeah, does we'll take march we'll be able to march then you know so there'll be, be much more uh evapotranspiration and, and much more daylight and you'll be hoping things will be drying up a bit um, just another question in there on the the pitmaps. Um, how are they actually created? Uh, the pitmaps, is it? Yeah, yeah. Um, right. So the pitmaps are generated uh, from a lot of different areas of information, and and they were created by the EPA. I suppose that's the first thing I need to I need to say. So the EPA would would would, would be able to give the the more definitive answer on it. But my understanding of where they've come from is is they have taken. All the available information from a soil from the soils maps that are, the soils information is out there the subsoils uh, the bedrock maps that are out there so we, we have a lot of information from the Geological Survey of Ireland that has, has you know mapped the whole country and across those areas and they also include um, uh, lipis data so cropping history and stocker rates are also included in them so. Um, when they put all that together into their model, um, that's what generates the maps. And you know, as I said before, they're quite, they're, they are very in instructive. Um, particularly the phosphorus ones, I find that you know the overland flow pathways are, are quite quite accurate, uh, but they do need to be ground through it. Um, you know, you could have a farmer may have dug a drain or something across a, a critical or an overland flow pathway, which which would mean that. You know that that's not a uh, reflective on the maps. Um, the other thing I'd say about them is is that uh, the EPA are looking to uh, update them. The stock and rate and lipis data that they are based on is, I think, it's twenty seventeen or twenty eighteen, so it's a little bit out of date. And they're in the process of updating the the data with more recent uh, lipis lipis information. So, you know, times change and things change and land use changes. And so, you know, that will change the, the PIP rankings as well going forward. But that's where my understanding of, of where they have come from on. Yep. And just another question in there. Can farmers view these maps themselves? Yeah, absolutely. Um, they are on uh, Castments.ie website. Um, you know, we could do a demo here, but we'd, we'd ruin, we'd have the rest of the, of the webinar used up. But they're there on Castments.ie. Um, if you go into the map tab uh, on catchments.ie, uh, they're all there. Now, that map or that system has a massive amount of information. It is a whole lot of water quality information as well. And, you know, for the listeners that, that are on the call there, if you were worth going in um, and having a look, it will take a bit of time for you to find your way around it uh, without maybe, you know, somebody demonstrating it with you. But they, are video, they do have videos, I think, as well, in fairness to them, that, that show you where to get information, help videos in it as well. So, Look at it. if you're going into it, give yourself a bit of time. If one, it's not a five minute view. It's it's probably an hour, two hours view to get get your head get your head around where all this stuff is. Uh, but it is very very uh, very very useful 
and full of information so somebody can get if you have time to go on it I'd, I'd advise you to go on it you know and it, it's phenomenal the amount of detail that if a farmer does go in on it you, you could spend hours looking at it and you'd see things from years ago that were on your farm and yeah realize humps and hollows and what way the water does actually move yeah. um an in question an interesting question in there how much slurry storage should we as farmers aim to have <laughs> Well, I think uh, I think you should have the minimum requirement, which is which is sixteen weeks or eighteen weeks or twenty weeks. And you know there there is there is anecdotal evidence out there that um, you you know farmers don't have that uh, in some in some circumstances. I think you know in fairness, most farmers aren't too badly fixed with regards to that. I think you know you you need to look at your own circumstance. Why why does it why does a, a regulation there? It's a one size fits all regulation. So it's sixteen weeks in the southern half of the country, eighteen in the middle of the country, and 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 twenty twenty two up the north part of the country. I think the best person to answer how many weeks story storage I need is the actual farmer themselves because they know their system. They know when they have to go in and house. They know when they typically can get out on, on and uh, spread slurry. And if you feel that um, you're not able to, uh, that you're putting sorry out in less than favorable conditions quite, you know, every year. Well, then, and, and, but you have the minimum requirement, well, then maybe you do need to have additional sorry storage. And, you know, the example I gave of the farmer um, uh, that, that put in additional sorry storage, he, he had the 16 weeks, but he felt, you know, this time of the year that he was under pressure with cabin, the ground conditions weren't just ideal. And he was just stressing himself out constantly around what do we do with the slurry. He went and put an additional four weeks and he said that the weight that lifted off his shoulders was unbelievable, that he didn't have that stress and that he was in more control and was, was better able to use the slurry in a way that he wanted to. So I think the best person to answer that once you have the minimum is the farmer themselves, how much additional they want. Yeah. So have the minimum, but um, decide yourself then after that. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Um, question in there for someone in acres. If they have a traditional hay meadow um, and they want to go with some slurry on it, um, I suppose, will it have a negative effect is the question. Um, I suppose uh, Katza might be the better one to, 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 to answer this. But um, look, at I, I think the principle that we, we outlined is, you know, when you add, when you add nutrient uh, to a crop, um, you know, it, it's catchments philosophy would be, you know, to avoid putting nutrient on these biodiverse rich areas that you're trying to trying to protect. So I suppose I know in acres you're allowed, uh, or I think you are, and, and traditionally hey, or you were in glass anyway. Um, so I suppose look at you need to you need to see on that one. I think the person to go to is your your acres advisor. <laughs> I'm afraid I'm not up to speed enough yeah. in acres to give to give a definitive answer on that. You know, perfect. Um, no, there's there's a there's a, a a few questions in there and uh, fairly controversially and and basically asking the question uh, if we went to a, a, a an all arable agricultural system and got rid of our animals uh, would that have a a positive impact on water quality? <laughs> um. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a that's a fair shift in, in policy there. But um, but the reality the, the answer is is that it would have problems as well, and all arable because you know, um, 
The tillage areas are typically in the free draining areas, and we know from work in the Slaney and the Barrow that uh, nit nitrogen is a big problem there. And we also know that like it's it's coming across from all the all the enterprises in the Slaney and the Barrow, so it's your your grassland and and your and your tillage. But tillage, um, you know, you need to have your cover and catch crops in to mop up uh, nitrogen to, to prevent nitrate leaching. Uh, you need to have your your you know, in, in the winter period or the, the autumn period, uh, if you have bare soil and you get heavy rainfall and, you know, Wexford and Carlow got plenty of heavy rainfall this autumn and you you, you start to get um, soil moving. So if you have loose soil, you're going to have uh, soil moving with water and getting into the drainage network. You know, you, you've often seen the, the slaney and, and tributary of the slaney with a little brown colour on it. That's soil getting in from, from tillage fields. Um and I think the other of it is, is if we yeah. shifted on our heavy, heavier lands into tillage, yeah. we'd have massive problems with 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 soil loss, with soil degradation, and and with, and with phosphorus and sediment into the the into the rivers. So I yeah. I think really there's it's a very simplistic view to think that a, a shift to uh, uh, tillage would do anything i think it's it, quite the converse i think our, our grass and agriculture is probably heavily protecting our water quality i, I think so and, and like i mean uh, there's other a bit of research from from the catchments program where a farmer did a reseed um so a reseed is where you know putting grass back into it but there was a massive spike in nitrate from that reseed it was only in a you know a couple of acre fields and it, there was a massive spike if we went and uh, ploughed up all the permanent pastures or a lot of the pastures that are around there, you're going to have a massive spike of nitrate uh, from from that release because there's a lot of nitrate in the organic matter in in, in the soils that are, is existing there, and reseeding or ploughing up releases that. So you know, I think um, the unintended consequences is what we need to watch out for. You know, with with, with things like that. <laughs> A question: Do do maca swivel spouts uh, qualify as as less? Uh, I'm not familiar with a, with a, No, I don't think they are. Um, but I don't know. So just uh, uh, there was a couple of questions early on in uh, relation to some of the the a number of products and it's uh, that will. Uh, reduce methane in, in in slurry, and there's a number of technologies I think coming mm -hmm. down the line that have that are showing uh, significant uh, potential in that space. It's something we we will go into, I think, in in a later. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I look at I, I kind of avoided it to be honest because I, I I wouldn't be an expert in that, but I, I know you know Dominica Crowe I think is 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 the person who does a lot of that in Johnstown Castle. So you know maybe it, it's it's one for another day that we specifically around uh, slurry additives and their benefits might be might be a topic for the webinar at some stage. Yeah, and the, and there's a question there in, again, it's prob probably one that we're not overly familiar with about the the uh, th any thoughts on on sorry slurry separation for for nutrient management. Um, but again, I think it's one yeah. that it's it's difficult enough to see how it's going to improve things massively because you still end up with with uh, okay, you're you're um, removing solids, you're. Um, the majority of your your liquids are going to contain your your nitrogen, and a lot of the solids will go in with phosphorus. But I, I still don't see you're going to have ninety percent liquid still there, 
which has to be spread. I don't think it's it's much of a solution for anybody. Yeah, look, a nutrient is nutrient, whatever form it is in, and you you, you need to use that nutrient at the most beneficial time from an agronomic point of view and from an environmental point of view. So, you know, you know, in theory, you know, a dry solid fraction of slurry is probably more stable. Um, but if it's put out in the wrong conditions, it's, it can still impact, you know, so. Um, question in there, should there be more training around um, slurry use and slurry application? Yeah, look, at I, I suppose, there isn't any there isn't any specific training per se that's out there, but I, I think you know what we could really benefit from is is just maybe a reset on on the whole the whole thing. Um like the regulations have have, have grown so much uh, in the last four or five years in particular with all the additional measures that have been added on. And I'd I'd like to bring us back to the to the basics. And the basics are having your slurry storage, uh, your minimum slurry storage, and having it uh, fit for purpose. And then when you are using your slurry, that you you adhere to the, the buffer margins and that you adhere to, um, you know, the for rainfall forecast. I think people just ignore the rainfall forecast. Like 48 hours is what they say. But really, you know, if, I'm not so sure that's, 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 that's 48 hours, you know, will, will, will do the job. Um, and all those things. So we we need to get back to the basics and start looking at those. And maybe it's a reset we need on there around that that we that we uh, remind people because I think they've they've there's so much been thrown at them that they've forgotten, or maybe not forgotten, but maybe not given as much uh, store to the to the basics around uh, buffer margins and and spreading times and 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 uh, slurry stories that should be there. So you know I think. I think there's room for improvement definitely on it, but I'm not so, I don't know is, is mandatory training or that the answer. I think it's it's more is an awareness and, and getting back to the basics. Yeah. Okay, I think we're we're hitting our our uh, time limit there. I would like to say thanks very much to to Noel. Uh, hugely important issue. If I think we've were to resolve a lot of our our uh, environmental issues in agriculture, slurry is going to be one of the key elements to, to doing that. Uh, so thank you very much for your, your presentation. Owen, thanks very much for, for, for the questions. Um, just a, a reminder that next week uh, we're uh, dealing with what is, again, a really important topic. Uh, we saw earlier in the year that the uh, HSA had a, a campaign around uh, health and safety, particularly in relation to uh, the calving period and, and uh, conducted a lot of visits. So next week we have John McNamara and Francis Bly uh, looking at managing health and safety in, in on the farm in the in the busy spring period, so really a, a, a important topic. I would look look forward to that. And just I suppose a final reminder that uh, Chagask are are uh, running a, 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 the, the farm sustainability uh, awards, uh, uh, which uh, for which entries will be accepted up to the end of of February. So if there are farms out there that are going above and beyond in terms of of I suppose, uh, producing food and producing it very sustainably, uh, there's an, an opportunity for a single, uh, for a significant uh, uh, prize fund to be accessed there for, for those farms. And, and for, I suppose, most importantly, the lessons that, that have been learned by those farmers to be spread uh, to others. So the details of the application for that are on the, the Chagas website. So until next week, 
thanks again to our speakers thanks to Yvonne for, for all our work behind the scenes and hopefully we'll see you again next Friday You've been listening to the podcast version of the Chagisk Signpost series, the weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Don't forget to join us live every Friday morning for our latest webinar. For more, visit chagisk.ie. And you can also rate, review and subscribe to the Signpost series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Mark Gibson and thanks for listening.